This is episode number 30 with Elena Brower. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Elena is a mama, a renowned author, teacher, and speaker. She's the author of Art of Attention, an artful yoga book, now translated into six languages, and the creator of Teach Yoga, a virtual home for yoga teachers worldwide. And her next book, Practice You, will be released in September 2017. I first met Elena at one of her yoga classes in 2012 in New York, and I was blown away by her beautiful presence and grace. This woman is a true goddess and a heart-centered leader, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear from her today. In today's episode, we chat about conscious parenting and leading and how to lead by example how blended families can co-parent with grace, why lying to your children will break their respect, how to love yourself unconditionally, why compassion is the key to self-love, what a powerful miracle practice is and why it's imperative to conscious creation, the power of a daily practice for radical self-love, the breath exercise to rock your daily practice and amp up your self-love, how to bust through limiting beliefs and how to rewrite your fear-based stories, plus so much more. For everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 30. And without further ado, let's bring on the beautiful, stunning goddess, Elena Brower. Beautiful Elena, welcome. I'm so grateful to have you here. But before we dive into all the juiciness, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? This morning was the first morning that my son walked himself to school. He's 10. So it was a little bit strange. Um, I struggled not to watch him walk out of the building from the window. We live on the 21st floor and I could have very well watched him walk out the the door downstairs with the doorman, but I didn't. And instead I turned around and I had two pieces of gluten-free toast. One had ghee on it with pepper and salt and turmeric. And the other had olive oil really good olive oil from my friend's farm in Provence with salt and avocado slices. And I just sat and ate it for a little while and I realized that that was the end of an era. Mm, How beautiful. Oh my goodness. And then I I took out my unbakery book from New Zealand and I got a cacao smoothie, cacao coconut maca smoothie going for dessert. Oh, goodness me. I'm coming over. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, it was weird. It was really weird. Yeah. That's that's crazy. I have an 11-year-old stepson and Yes. There's no way. No, he can't walk to school yet. <laughs> He's too little. Well, we live two blocks. Oh, that's okay. I know. We live only two blocks away. We're on the Upper East Side. It's very safe here. Every doorman between here and school knows him. Hmm. You know, so everyone has a little bit of an eye out for that sort of thing. Beautiful. Well, I am so grateful to have you and to share your wisdom with my beautiful audience today. And I'd love to know, have you always been this yogi, meditating, self-loving goddess that you are today? Can you take us back and tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today? I was definitely not this person. 
I was not loving myself. I was not um, kind to myself. I was in a lot of habits and, gosh, um, all kinds of negativity for quite some time. I started as a clothing designer when I graduated from Cornell. And I was designing clothing and textiles and um I did that for six years on and off for a few different companies and I loved it. And I was living in Italy and I had a really nice life and lifestyle in my early twenties, but, and I was doing yoga, but I definitely was not taking care of myself by any stretch. I was, you know, eating kind of whatever I wanted and I was um, smoking a lot of cigarettes and really feeling like that was my reward for being a good girl. (laughs) And, um, there was not a lot of um there was not a lot of self love going on let's say when i started to get trained to teach yoga was when things started to get a little more interesting and as these things happened before i um got nicer and kinder to myself it actually got worse you know as always and um i was pretty addicted to marijuana for a long time And I really felt like that was my escape. You know, that was my, also my treat, my reward. And my mom, rest her soul, she died about a year and a half ago. She, in, when I was small, her most peaceful moments were when she was driving in the car and she would have her hand holding her cigarette out the window and I could feel her whole body kind of relax or she was on the phone at the house and she would step outside in the sliding glass door and go outside and have a cigarette and relax. So always the grounded releasing time was around smoking for me. And that was the, that was the understanding that I had energetically. So that kind of fed into the, I'm going to harm myself subconsciously, unconsciously, as my way of treating myself <laughs> for years up until I was into my early forties. And it was two and a half years ago that I finally quit all of the ridiculous smoking and hurting myself. And now I, I understand what it means to, you know, to really take care of myself, love myself, lead by example and teach other people to take care of ourselves and and also lead in their own communities and homes by example. And the trajectory probably started in right around 1998 when I took my first teacher training. Before there were, you know, a thousand yoga studios, there were three yoga studios in New York and I was getting trained in the in the third one <laughs> as it opened with Cindy Lee. And that's how it all began. Wow. Being a step parent and you being a parent, it's not until you kind of step into that field where you realize, you know, the conditioning that we had growing up really affected and shaped who we are today. So how have you been really mindful of your actions and leading by example, like you said, with your son? Like, you know, I believe that our children are not ours to control or they are there to walk this journey alongside us. I feel like I'm a guardian and not a controlling step parent with my little boy. So how do you consciously parent, I guess, so that you don't pass on any of, you know, those little habits onto your beautiful little boy? Well, what I've done is actually walked him through every step of the way. So as soon as I realized that it was time for me to get clean, I actually, you know, after I had my 40 days of clean and knew that this was my path and knew that I had to be a leader in this, albeit reluctantly at first, I had him knowledgeable of what I was doing. And I said, this is what I've done. I had a really bad addiction. 
this is what it is. I, you know, and I started to explain it to him little by little because he was still only seven and a half at the time. Now he's 10 and he really gets it, you know, and I can point out to him when people are high and, you know, there's this addiction hold, they're holding them hostage and, you know, he, we can now recognize it. Um, but at the time, I basically had him be my hearing my sounding board when I was rehearsing the spoken word poem that I created to get over my addiction. It's called the ritual of recovery and it's, um, it's around on the internet. There's an audio version of it. There's a video version of it. And he was the guy who got to listen to it in all its different iterations and helped me as I memorized it. He now knows it by heart, I'm sure. And um, so he has a front row seat to somebody healing and he knows what it means and he knows how, I mean, I didn't, frankly, I didn't really have the hardest time. I knew that it was time and I knew that I was going to be an example. I knew that I was being used as a vehicle by God to show people how this can be done, you know, publicly so that we can all heal together so that I can help my sisters who are struggling and my brothers who are struggling, but, you know, mostly the girls who are hiding you know, and, um, he watched the whole thing and he was, he was awesome. He was such a good support system and his dad and I are no longer together. We haven't been together for many years, but we're best friends now. And his wife and I are best friends, total soul sisters, him and my man are total soul brothers. And so we're all in this together. And Jonah's seen us, you know, leave behind the specter of my addiction and all the other weird little um, confusions and misunderstandings that we were sharing as a, as a foursome together. We've left all of that behind and he's watched that process. And so he's, he's had a front row seat to something very, very special. Mm, absolutely. What would your advice be for blended families? Because I'm sure there's a lot of blended families who aren't best friends with their ex-husbands or ex-partners and, and their, their new wives. Or What would your advice be to those people? I'm in the middle of co-writing a book called Your Elegant Divorce. Ah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's an important topic. Mm-hmm. It's a hot topic right now because people are really into being conscious about this, it's happening and we might as well be great and conscious about it. Uh, My advice would be to be open to the fact that you're not going to love everything that is presented to you, but you can love everything that you present. You can be a real clear leader by being kind, being compassionate, being open to the paradigm shifting, being open to the fact that you can actually change the, the flavor of the story by your own behavior. And um, it's, it's very possible, you know, barring situations, as I always say, with, you know, chemical dependency or mental illness, anything is possible. Mm. It's funny. There's a lot of social stigma around this whole, the ex-partners and a lot of people, you know, when they find out I'm a stepmom, they always ask, oh, well, Mm -hmm. what's your relationship like with, you know, with the ex-wife? Like, you know, they, they kind of are really curious to see if it's tumultuous. And it's funny how everyone presumes it is, you know, very aggressive or tumultuous. Um, but I love what you said that we can rewrite it and we can, we can create whatever we want. And of course, when we may not agree with absolutely everything, but we can create what we want and how beautiful for the child or the children to witness that. That's right. That's exactly right. That was my priority was to, you know, just make sure that he he was seeing something that would lead him in the direction someday, if God forbid he got married and got divorced or, you know, he, he, somehow the, he invited this situation close to him, that he would know what the high road really looked like and be able to take it. Mm. He would recognize it. Beautiful. One thing that we have done with Leo is always treat him like an adult. Well, we've always spoken to him how we would speak to, you know, our sisters and brothers, and we've never dumbed him down and, you know, babied him in that sense. How important do you think that is for children? 
Uh, that's everything. Mm. That's everything. Every time I teach about parenting or I offer any of my own experience around parenting, it's always just be, you don't have to be their best friend, but you do have to treat them with respect and treat them as though they are understanding emotionally of what you're talking about. Most likely they are. They have many fewer veils than we have. And so when it comes to matters of the heart, even though they might not have the words or the vocabulary for it, they do have the sensation in their bodies for what is true and what is not true. And so they know if you're lying to them immediately, they can Mm. sniff you out a mile (laughs) away. And if you're lying to them, it just degrades their respect for you so early in life. We all have this experience where we can think about, oh, it was an uncle or a grandfather, somebody somebody in our lives, a dear friend of the family, who was just a total bullshit artist. We knew it from a mile away. We could sniff it out. We wanted nothing to do with that person from early on. We couldn't even explain why. Please, mom, don't make me go near that person. Mm. We Yeah, like you said, we may not be able to actually articulate it, but we know because we can feel it. Right. That's the gift that kids have. Mm, wow. So how has self-love really played a part in getting to where you are today? Like obviously there was a lot of self-loathing in your early early 20s or whenever it was where you experienced these addictions. How has that evolved for you and how important do you think self-love is? It's taken a long time and I, I really, I can't, point to a certain particular moment or experience. But what I can say is the the best thing that I ever did was to get into teaching about self-love and self-compassion. Because in teaching about it, I have to learn how to articulate it. And in learning how to articulate it, I actually have to feel it and embody it. I don't have a choice. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. everyone's going to be able to sniff me out. <laughs> So in learning how to articulate it, I actually have learned how to feel it, experience it, put it through my course, it through all of my little cells and know how to, how to communicate about it. It's been the greatest gift of all is just to be a teacher. Mm. Absolutely. And we, you know, there's that saying, we often teach what we most need to learn within ourselves. Yes, it's very true for me. It always has been. I most needed to learn how to get over my addiction, so I taught it. <laughs> mm, exactly. What would you say to someone who is recognizing within themselves right now that they may not have a, a loving relationship with themselves or their physical body? You know, I, I'm running this mentorship program right now. It's very simple and short and stunning and beautiful because of the people who are in it. We have this private Facebook forum where all of these incredible ideas and creative artworks are being exchanged and shared. And um, there was one exercise that came through, through my teacher, Paramatma Siri Sadhana. She's a Kundalini teacher here in New York. She works between New York and India in Amritsar. And she offers what's called the miracle practice where she has you take a page, do it in landscape orientation and write at the top three columns equal um, width. It would be a miracle if. Then take that statement and write it as already true. And then cite three actions that you could take toward making that statement a reality. So for example, it would be a miracle if I really loved and respected myself enough to treat myself compassionately. This would be the example per your question. The second column would be, I respect myself and love myself compassionately. Three actions I would take, I would go and look in the mirror and practice until it felt absolutely natural, saying to my eyeballs, And focusing on one eyeball only, because that makes it easier in life to focus on the other person's left eyeball is the call. It will help you stay with them. And it's the the eye of the truth. Focus on one eyeball and say, I love you. I love you. You're beautiful. I love you. You really are beautiful. You have a huge blemish on your face, and I love you. You are beautiful. And until it's true, 
say it. That's the first action. The second action would be surround yourself with positive affirmations and positive people, positive messages, positive books, positive realities. Don't watch the news. Don't watch the television. This is all sort of encased in, in that second action. And the third action would be something like make sure that you have a steady stream of grace in your life, of prayer in your life, of God in your life, whatever your word for God is, the universe, spirit, whatever it is, soul. Make sure that there's a steady stream in your life. Mm, I love that. Is there any way we can link to that miracle practice in the show notes or something like that? Is it is it online anywhere? No, um, she does what's called the space weather service and she offers it on certain times of the month, each month with the moon. Um, what I would do, I can, I can create a little graphic, something pretty that I can photograph for you. And, um, that would be amazing. You know, just the three columns. I'll just do it on a piece of watercolor paper and photograph it for you so that you have it. You can include it as a little PDF or something in the show notes. Oh, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. I love what you are saying about constantly surrounding yourself. And, you know, it's about that routine and ritual, daily habits, daily routines. And it's often those little things that we do each day that add up to big results or big consequences. And I am fascinated by people's routines and morning routines and what they do in general to set them up for success and for being the best version of themselves and whatever they have to do to set them up to show up to the world as their full self. So how important do you think daily rituals and practices are? And can you take us through some of your non-negotiables? Um, lately, my favorite non-negotiable is that my boyfriend and I meditate every morning together. We have this little little seat where we sit together. It's so cute. <laughs> took me a really long time and he wasn't into it forever but then he came over to Oz he was in Perth for the last two weeks shooting a film he's a creative director and when he came back his schedule was all screwed up and he's the guy who like needs to sleep in every morning and so I wake up with the sun I go and sit and do my thing my practices and the non-negotiable being getting up early taking care of my practice my writing my sitting movement whatever I can do, breath work, playing with bowls, whatever, whatever's clever that day. And now he gets up because he's all jet lagged and it doesn't seem to be going away. He's been home for over a week and he's still waking up six o'clock, comes out, sits with me. It's the nicest thing. So that I would say is my first non-negotiable. Um, definitely just some sort of pranayama in the morning is very important for me, usually just alternate nostril breathing, which is what my teacher, um, Par Yoga founder, Yoga Rupa Rod Stryker, gave to me when I was cleaning up my body from all of my addictions. Alternate nostril breathing, Nadi Shodhana, is the king for me. Every morning, I feel all of my bones landing every time I do it. And, um, and then I sit, we sit for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Beautiful. And it's so beautiful that you get to share that together. How important do you think these little daily rituals and routines are for self-love and setting you up to show up to the world as the best version of yourself, whatever that looks like for each individual? I think it has to be something personal for everybody in the mentorship program, having each person develop uh, in week two, which was the week about compassion. Each week is just one word. And the compassion week, I just had them do a practice between three to five minutes, no shorter than three, no longer than five. So nobody can tell me they can't do it. Mm. <laughs> nobody can tell me you can't do three to five minutes. And what is your ritual for developing compassion for yourself? Is it going and looking in the mirror and, you know, having a moment with yourself? Is it um, giving yourself a, a, a dry skin brush or some, you know, oil rub down? What it, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be whatever you, it can be making your own smoothie in the morning. It can be making your tea slowly and lighting your incense and taking care of a little ceremonious moment with your tea leaves 
whatever it is. Make something happen so that you know you have this time with which you are going to connect to yourself. Period. Punto the end. No question. Yeah, I love that. Over the years, I have done so many different things, you know, oil pulled and juiced and yogurt and meditated and enemas mm-hmm. and saunas and chanting and dancing and swimming and neti pots and all <laughs> sorts of things. I have put in my morning routine. And it's very easy for people to get, you know, see what other people are doing on social media and, you know, compare themselves and feel like they have to, you know, do what other people are doing. Um, but how can we tune in with ourselves and find what works with us? And would you recommend doing one thing or would you recommend doing a couple of things? Like what's really been profound for you and had the most benefit for you personally? I finally got a juicer and I do half and half celery and cucumber every day, at least once. That's awesome. It's been for the past several months. I even through the winter felt really good. Feels really good. Feels really alive. Um, Just making sure I drink a lot of water, making sure that, you know, like I said, I'm waking up early in the morning and just connecting to myself, connecting to my practice everything else. I mean, I take my vitamins, (laughs) you know, I don't know that there's any other thing I would say you have to do. You have to do this. These are the basics. And that's what I do to take care. Oh, and I do a weekly acupuncture appointment mainly because my, the office, I found somebody wonderful who's literally next door to my apartment building in the city. So I walk down there every Monday afternoon. Mondays are the busiest days for my business, for my doTERRA business. I go down there at three o'clock in the middle of literally everything. And I lay down for an hour and she knows exactly what to do. She puts all the needles in, closes the door, leaves me alone for 60 minutes. It is the most divine journey every single week. And that is the best reset I know about. That's the one thing I would say, you know what, if you're doing nothing else for yourself, just do that. Go start an acupuncture practice, you know, start a, start a weekly or even a bi-week, bi-monthly something like that. I see a lot of women who really struggle with gifting themselves that time and the money to go and get acupuncture or go to their favorite yoga class. So what would your recommendation be or what would you say to someone who's really struggling with that worthiness around taking the time and the money to fill themselves up? First, I would say this comes up all the time, first of all, in my business, um, you know, because I'm, I'm running a team of over 4,000 people. It is very popular for us to doubt that we should or could be high earners in the world. And I'm here to break that completely for all of us. And every time I say, go get Kate Northrup's book, which is Money, A Love Story, and open that book up and just start to do even some of the practices that she has us do. First thing, what is your first memory of money? That will tell you everything about how you operate today in the world, what you believe about your own capacities. And then I would say, similar to how we started, write down what you believe about money, all the list of all the beliefs that you have about what's possible, and then, dang it, rewrite them across the piece of paper write exactly the opposite thing to what you wrote, to what you believe currently, and try it on. It's like trying on a dress. It's like if you wear constantly wear big muumuu dresses, I dare you to go put on an Aliyah dress and see how that feels. It's going to feel awesome for a minute. It might not feel awesome for, for a long term, but I dare you to go try it because you're going to suddenly feel your whole body in a totally different way. And you're going to see, oh, that's why. (laughs) That's why people play with this a little bit. That's why it feels so good. That's why it's so important to actually believe in myself because actually money is not poison. It is energy. Money is neutral. The only thing that changes what money is, is how we think about it. If I think about money from a place of fear, it's going to be a problem for me. If I think about money from a place of love, energy, this is going to help me be charitable. This is money is going to funnel through me for great causes and great reasons. It's going to come to me in a totally different way. 
Mm, I agree. I used to really hold on to my parents' beliefs around money and I had to do a lot of rewriting of my money story over the years, which has been so powerful and my relationship with it and uh, my relationship even with the word abundance. I really had to be mindful of that and do a lot of reprogramming. So it's very possible. It is. It's always possible. And it starts by us kind of taking a moment to, to try on other belief systems, you know, that's all. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Seeing how it feels in our body and going, mm, okay, this feels really good. I'm going to take this belief system with me and then it might change and evolve over time as well. But constantly just being open to there being another way. Exactly. So I would love to hear what is one thing that you're currently working on or would like to improve or work on within yourself at the moment? Is there anything that's really front and center for you right now? The first thing that comes to my mind is just actually working a little bit less. I love so much what I'm doing right now. It is silly. And I could stay up all night and do it all day. Yep. I can totally relate. <laughs> I, I could do it all the time. I would never stop. I have a standing desk I, and I look out over the whole city and I could just do this all 24 hours a day. What I'm working on now is just like putting a little bit of a, a, a boundary on that on the days that I don't already have one. Mondays, Tuesdays, and um, Thursdays, the boundary is already there. I have my kid or I have my man. Like we have date night tonight. And, um, after this call, it's just date night. I don't get to open up the computer. I don't get to help anybody. I don't get to do anything. I just get to be with my partner and it is awesome. We'll take a bath together. We'll chill out together. Um, Tuesday and Thursday is my boy. I have him and we cook and we chill and we play chess and we watch chef's table. And then Wednesdays and Fridays though, girl, I could go for days days. So I'm working on those days, kind of just relaxing in the evenings. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. I could, if I didn't have my husband kind of set some firm boundaries for me, okay, mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. it's time to turn the phone on airplane mode. It's time to close the computer. I am the same as you. I would just keep going and going and going because I love it yeah, so much, yeah, yeah. but we do need to have that flow between the masculine and the feminine energy and, you know, go and give ourselves a self-loving oily massage and do those beautiful things like meditate and yoga. If we just go all the time, we're going to burn ourselves out. That's right. I see a lot of women have a lot of guilt, especially entrepreneurs. They have a lot of guilt when they go and stop and they feel like they've got to be on 24-7 and they've got to be going and they've got to be on social media and they've got to be doing everything all the time. How do you deal with that inner pressure that might pop up or if, if it does pop up for you? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't pop up for me. I don't feel that pressure. I just get a lot of delight out of it. That's the truth. I don't I don't really feel pressured at all. I know that everything can happen tomorrow. I just have fun doing it today. <laughs> like it's that um I think to the women who do feel that pressure, I would say explore the possibility that you're putting it on yourself and just, you don't need to be. Mm. I used to always think that I had to tick off everything on my to-do list and get my inbox to zero every single day. Otherwise, mm. I was a failure. And mm. I realized something quite profound. And that is that the world isn't going to end if I don't get my inbox to zero and my to-do list to right. zero. <laughs> How's that for a novel idea? <laughs> I think that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I, with my inbox, it used to be at like thousands. Now, as long as I have it under 80, I'm super happy. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah, that works for me. So let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you can put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, let's pretend your book's already in there. So 
just one book that you would love to see in the school curriculum for every single high school? I'm just looking at my bookshelf right now. Like I want, I want Steiner. I want Anadea Judith to talk about the chakras. I want um, even Jeff Foster. Like what a what a writer he is. What a wake up call. Thich Nhat Hanh maybe. I'm reading Thich Nhat Hanh's books to Jonah at bedtime now, and he while he falls asleep so peacefully. Mm. He's talking about you know breathing in breathing out, <laughs> you know, and we just, we, I, 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 there are so many, I don't even know what to say to that. I can't. They're all really, really beautiful ones. Thank I you. Know. Yeah. They're amazing. We have started to read these sorts of texts to Leo at nighttime, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is just so beautiful. You know, I think back to when my mum used to read to me, I'm like, oh, I, w- I would love that if she had have read those books, but I mean, I'm reading them now, which is fine. But yeah. It's really important to kind of introduce our children to this world and the younger the better. Do you agree? Yes. Yes. You know, there's a part of me that's like, oh, I should have just started doing this sooner, but it's fine. Mm. It's fine. Now he really gets it. And now he's like, he'll ask for it when he feels a little wound up. He'll just be like, let's read from the meditation book again. It's a little tiny book called Creating Space by Thich Nhat Hanh about creating your meditation space and what you should do and about the bell, inviting the bell. And it's like, oh my God, so cool. It's so cool. And like you said at the start of the interview, you know, leading by example with your children is something that you feel really connected to. And same with myself and my husband, that leading by example is the best way to inspire. How do you let go when he goes to school or goes out into the world or goes to the parties? Because I know a lot of women that struggle with that. He's not my kid. You know, he's my kid, but he's not my kid. I I have to let go of him. Today was the best practice for me. When I said, you know what, you can totally walk to school by yourself. I was like, okay, this is the beginning. I'm going to get really good at letting him go letting him figure it out. I let him go to school in a basketball jersey. He goes to a Steiner school. He should not be going to school in a basketball jersey. And he he also wore like his soccer flip-flops. And I was like, oh, this is not going to go over well over there. And he said, no, I promise you it'll be fine. I said, great, just try it. Gets there, teacher tells him change, go to the lost and found, find another shirt. Like, I can't control this person all i can do is give him the merest guidance and let him go find out he knows what it looks like to be an addict he knows what it looks like to heal he knows what it looks like to care he knows what it looks like to love he knows what it looks like to meditate he also knows what it looks like when i'm not meditating the kind of anger that comes out of me uh he he has a a a, a pretty good neutral baseline understanding of how to show up in the world. I think I've done the best that I can do. Now it's Mm. time for him to figure it out. Mm. So beautiful. You know, and we have more years. He's only 10 years old. He's not like, uh, he's not 15. He's not 17, but I can still, I can see and I can start to prepare myself for what it is to let that person do the things that he's going to do and make the mistakes that he will make and know that that's probably the best course of action make that mistake. Hmm. Yeah. It's been a beautiful lesson for me in letting go and surrendering Yeah, and, you know, having him come into my life when he was, you know, five, um, it was the first time I met him. And then we got together a few years later, but it's been such a lesson in surrender and letting go and not trying to control and shape and project my views and just lead by example and be the most self-loving example that I can be for myself because children or everyone, they learn by watching and that's all I can do. And and I love, I love that that's how you parent and there's no controlling that we can do. We've just got to show up and be the best example that we can be. <clears throat> and all of that said, there have been plenty of times I've completely and utterly screwed up. <laughs> and he's watched me say that I'm sorry 
like really profoundly sorry. I'm so sorry that I said that. I'm sorry that I showed up that way. I'm sorry that I cursed. I'm sorry that I screamed. I'm sorry that I raised a hand to you. That's happened like four or five times in his life. And my consequence for that is that I have to tell his father. And as I said, we're no longer together. So if I am in any way inappropriately uh, aggressive with him, again, which has happened a handful of times, I actually have to, I have to call his father and explain to him the entire situation, mm. which has been nothing but helpful because his father now gets to see this is really a deep lineage, ancestral pattern in my body. And I, I am getting so much help from his father from, from executing this consequence. He helps me every time I call, instead of being like, oh, you're a failure. He goes, you know what? You tried your best. You said you were sorry. Let's keep moving forward. Let's keep showing him what it should look like. Mm. Every time, without fail, the guy is like a rock. He never judges me for it. So beautiful. It's beautiful. It is truly beautiful. And so, and then the kid gets to watch me have that interaction. I've apologized to him now. I've been such a jerk. Then he gets to see me call his dad tell his dad the whole story is to see my interpretation of the story owning my whole part in it not skirting the issue not blaming the kid but really owning my side and then hear hear his father say you know what you this is we're working on this we're working on it all together this is what we're doing and it's it's that's kind of the best that we can do i think it's so deep it's deep it's generational and it's very deep for me and so we're working it out now in this present form Oh my goodness. Yeah, I can absolutely relate. And how important do you think that vulnerability and being totally open and vulnerable in front of your child is? Because I grew up in a family where it was a sign of weakness to cry. And, you know, it was pull your socks up and keep forging forward. I never saw my mum really get emotional or cry. And it was kind of, if she did, it was hidden and and she would run into the other room and don't see me like this and this is something that i've been really working on over the over the past couple of years with leo is being more vulnerable with him allowing him to see me cry which was so challenging and allowing him to see me say sorry and and go you know what i'm i'm very sorry for speaking to you like that that's not okay and being really vulnerable like that with him has been incredibly challenging for me um because i had created all this story around being a stepmom and being second best and this third wheel i had all this junk that surrounded that story and so for me, this is something that I've been really mindful of and working on consciously. So how important do you think it is that we are totally vulnerable with our children and not even just with our children, but in all of our relationships? I think if we're not vulnerable, we're just going to get a really hard shell around our organs and that's going to kill us. Mm. I think the softer we can be and stay the easier it is for the body to continue to do its job of healing whatever is the ancestral wound or wounds, and the easier it is for us to stay connected to the people around us who matter to us. I love that. One of my words for this year is softness. It's something that I'm constantly playing with, you know, just being soft in my, in my body and in my, just the way that I show up to life bringing an element of softness to everything I do. And it's really been quite helpful. You know, it's weird on my puja for the past few months, I have this little watercolor. I make these things all the time, little cards for myself, cultivating a field of softness. Oh, how beautiful. And these things rotate all the time, but this one stays, you know, it's getting warped by the water from the diffuser. I don't care. It's still there. <laughs> it's funny. I'll send you one. Oh, thank you so much. I would love to hear now, what are three things you're most recently grateful for in your life? One is the love of my man. He's so steadfast. He's so handsome. And uh, it's, it's made all the difference 
in the recent weeks. I've, I've, I've never had more, um, uh, professional satisfaction than I have of late. And that guy is right there with me. Beautiful. And then we get home and he's right there with me. And then I feel sad or afraid and he's right there with me. The second thing would definitely have to be my kid and the, the knowledge that he has in his soul of who I am and who he is and who we're all becoming. I might have to have four. The third would be his dad and stepmom, who we call soul mom. They're really making all the difference these days. Um, they're running a sort of a, like a very concierge medical clinic, all holistic and everything from your vitamin infusions, IV vitamin infusions to supplements to hyperbaric chamber. I mean, everything. They have everything over there. And their work of healing, their willingness to work and hang with us, that would be my third gratitude. And then the fourth would have to be my team. Um, not, I don't have like assistants or anything, but my team in my business that I oversee <clears throat> and they're everywhere all over the world. That to me uh, is priceless. Those women and men are really something to, they're a force to be reckoned with. And I'm very grateful for them. They've changed the whole game for me of, of what it means to be in business and what it means to support and be supported. Mm, so beautiful. Beautiful. Sorry, it was four. <laughs> no, that's okay. You live in New York City, and how do you bring that softness to who you are being, to your life, to your work, living in such a fast-paced, go-go-go environment? Well, it's mostly because of my business that I don't actually have to leave my house anymore. My house <laughs> is absolutely beautiful. Um, I'm looking out at a perfectly south-facing view from um, the Upper East Side all the way south. And I see the hawks all day above Park Avenue. And I see the park, all the trees. Um, my space here is, you know, really a sanctuary. And I keep it super spare, beautiful. Worst crime that I commit here in terms of gathering things is books, but everything else is bare minimum. And I invite my friends here to work. Every now and again, um, all the girls come over and we just sit and we cook and we have all our laptops out and we get all our work done together for hours on end. It's so nice. It only happens a few times a month. Um, I leave as little as possible. And when I do leave, it's something I'm choosing. <clears throat> I have one private client I go and see. I have um, just a couple classes I teach each month that I really love that I look forward to. And there's something really special about just being able to kind of be where I want to be and not have to be anywhere. Mm. It's really important that home environment is little sanctuary, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. We're, we are the same. We love our home, um, and, but we live on the beach so we can kind of go for a walk or go for a swim when we need to get out, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So I'm curious to know, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? If there's just one thing that we could do, what would it be? I want to go as simple as possible. Just make sure you're drinking enough water, like tons of water until, I hate to, I don't know, it's a little bit TMI, but until every time you use the bathroom, it's clear. That's a great call. Beautiful. So simple. That's like the best, easiest call. That's the simplest thing. I can tell you, you know, do your half and half celery and cucumber. I can tell you, go make an acupuncture appointment every week. It's so smart to do. Just shut down. Do yoga nidra. Shut down. Do whatever you can to shut down. But really, the water thing is critical. And if I'm not drinking enough water, I can totally feel it and see it on myself. Mm, me too. 
There's something I've been doing a lot of research on at the moment, just in my own personal life, and that is the effects of EMF that's having on our cells and our energy. And you mentioned shutting down. How do you shut down during the day? Do you have times where you, you know, make sure all the Wi-Fi is off and you're just with yourself? Or do you have any sort of rituals around that? Or is it just kind of you flow with it? No, usually every day, at least once a day, I do a yoga nidra or I take a nap or I do a couple of yin postures. My my workspace is basically built around my yoga practice space. So I have a low table where I can sit that's literally right next to my yoga mat, and then I have a standing desk a few feet away. And so the the mat's right there. Mm, always So waiting. I just sit down. Yeah, yeah. And I use it. I use it a few times a day. I just take a couple of pigeons. I'll take a little supine twist. Anything just to, so that I can hear my own breathing does the trick every time. Beautiful. I love that. I'm standing at my stand-up desk right now. As I talk to you, I used to sit when I recorded all of my podcasts and I would get up and almost not be able to move after an hour of sitting. So I have been standing this whole time and it's it's so much nicer. That's exactly right. What is one thing that we could do for our wealth? Now, this is about being wealthy in every area of your life, but also, you know, in what you do in the world and your finances. How can we be wildly wealthy? What's one thing that we can do? Believe. Mm believe that it's possible for you, believe that you're worth it, believe that you can, believe that you can rally, um, believe that you can rally other people to help you. You know, when it came to being in a network marketing business, I was like, I'm never doing that. Never as in ever. And when it finally came around to, you know, the possibility of it, and I started to look into what it meant, it just meant that I have to be a great teacher. If I'm a great teacher, I can earn a lot of money doing what I love, using products that I'm already using for the past two decades. All I had to do, all I had to do was choose to believe. That was it. Mm, So beautiful. That belief can really change everything. It changes everything, doesn't it? Everything. And then from there, I would say, you know, if I had to put it, you know, like onto the ground, I would say there are little tiny actions every day that I take toward creating and maintaining that that wealth for myself which is take care of my team be a great teacher be fearless in reaching out to people offer my services as far and wide as i possibly can and just take care of people mm. without draining myself small tiny actions every single day and how do you do that how do you take care of people is that just by reaching out to them every single week i have a few rituals with my team. I have a weekly office hours call. I have a Facebook forum where I post findings and we all share observations and questions. Um, I reach out to one person a week who's not expecting me Mm. to reach out at least one person. Usually it turns out to be more when I'm like mixing some blends or, you know, doing something that I really love. I'll just put the phone on speaker and set it right next to me and just call somebody who's not expecting me to call. Say, how can I help you? How can I serve you? Mm. Um, talk to my leaders every week, at least once, you know, just little things, little, little consistencies lead to large full on sea changes. There's, you know, I always say over deliver and those little things that don't have to take a lot of time can make such a huge difference. These little random acts of kindness whether it's helping someone in some way or calling someone or helping someone across the street, these tiny acts of kindness can go such a long way, don't they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this kind of leads me to my next question. What is one of the most important things that we can do for love, for more love in the world, more self-love and just more love in general? I think that I would just continue with the believe track like you have to believe that it's possible and then you have to generate the the resonance of it so small acts again 
all the time. Like, I, I really don't want to right now, to be perfectly honest. My man just came back from his run and he's going to take a shower and then we're going to go to dinner. I seriously could be just keep working all day. What I'm going to do though, to generate more love in the world, I'm going to shut the computer. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to just lay on him for a little while and hug him. I'm going to suggest some great places or things that we could do for dinner. And I'm going to give him my full attention, leaving the phone here. Beautiful. That's a great way to generate more love in the world because somebody walking by the street will be sad or will be angry or something will be happening and they'll see us or they'll feel us. And, you know, maybe it will drive them to call somebody or to do some something somewhere. You know, you never know what kind of effect your actions are having. You you just never know. You never know. Mm, So true. So true. I love that. And finally, I've got one more question for you. What is one thing that I personally and the listeners can do to serve you today? You know what? I know exactly what it is. The, I was just last week making a dream come true. I was uh, at the book expo here at the Javits Center in New York where my book, which is called Practice You, which is not really a book. It's actually a journal is coming out in September. And I was signing the full color galley proofs of the book. It was like a total surreal dream come true. And as I'm sitting there signing the proofs, the the biggest dream that I have for this book is that it's used in like university settings and high school settings, even junior high school settings where kids can go into the book and start to unravel themselves emotionally and see who they are and see what's moving them, what's driving them, what's, what's transforming them, what's, what's helping them, what's not helping them. There are opportunities to write letters to yourself at every single age, um, to walk yourself through prayers and write your own stories and your own poems and songs and prayer, whatever, whatever moves you. And the way that you can help me is by getting this book and sharing it with a friend who is in need, a friend who is sad, a friend who is going through a really hard time. I created the entire book and all the paintings when I was basically healing after my mother died. And it was, we got five more years with her after she was quite sick. So I'm not complaining, but she died quite suddenly. We weren't, there was no notice. She had a heart attack and we had already gotten five more years after she was really, really ill. So but the surprise of it was it was there was a lot of grief. And so all the pages of this book were me painting and coming up with the words to heal myself. And so if you can share this with somebody who is in pain or grieving or or working toward transforming something that is difficult for them in their lives, that will help me. That will help everyone. It will help me, it will help you, it will help the person to whom you show the book or give the book. That, I think, is a great blessing. Mm, We will link to it in the show notes so everyone can get it. I mean, I've seen the landing page and it looks absolutely beautiful. So we will link... Yeah. You have to check out the Instagram feed too. It's beautiful. I've been, um, I basically have been documenting the, the making of it since... I started just for fun, just to see, and uh, it's beautiful. Practice.you on Instagram. Okay, we will link to that so everyone can go and check it out. I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for all the work that you're doing, for being such a fierce leader um, and just showing up all the time and continuing to be the example. I'm so grateful that you just continue to show up and be so vulnerable and honest. That's one thing that I really love about you is your honesty and your vulnerability. You don't, you know, pretend to be perfect. You know, you share these things that you're going through and that's what I absolutely love about you so, so much. So I'm very grateful and um, honored to have you share your beautiful goddessness with us today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you for all the, um, the, all the thoughtful, really wise questions. I do really, truly appreciate them. Pleasure. Thank you, beautiful lady. Thank you. Thank you. And have a great, uh, have a great day today. Bye, Melissa. 
I don't know about you, but I feel so calm, soft, and goddessy just from listening to her beautiful voice. She oozes presence and calmness and softness. And oh, I just could keep talking to her for hours. She's just so beautiful. So if you felt that and loved today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review because that means we can inspire more people together. And don't forget to tell me on Twitter who you would like me to interview and make sure you tag me at Mel underscore Ambrosini and the person you want me to interview using the hashtag the Melissa Ambrosini Show. For everything we mentioned in the podcast today, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 30. And you can check out all my other podcast episodes there too. So thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of would really benefit from today's episode, please share it with them right now. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.